Our next session involves some real challenges, but some privileges, because we've got speakers that are joining us both live and remote. Joining us on stage, as you can see, is Evan Paul, who's come over from Queensland. And uh, Sun Super is the manager of Advice Solutions, and, oh, sorry, Advice Operations. And we're joined digitally from Melbourne by Adrian Gervasoni, who, as Colin has highlighted, is from Industry Fund Services. There, he's the executive manager of Advice Solutions. Again, moderated by the Connexus Financial Chief Executive, Colin Tate. This next session is Superannuation's Next Steps into advice. Well, hello. Have we got our, uh, our Melbourne link happening? Adrian, are you there? There's to Adrian. Hello, Evan. Hello, how are you? Good, day. I'm well. <laughs> Love when uh, the band comes together. Here he is. There he is. Hello, Adrian. Welcome as well. Good afternoon, all. Apologies, I can't be with you in person. Uh, look, we can't hold you responsible for the virus alone or uh, Melbourne <laughs> lockdown decisions. But thanks for joining us uh, in the face of that. I hope you're doing okay, Melbourne. Uh, yes, absolutely. So you've got 100 people here uh, uh, that you can't see, uh, but you can, you've got the, the good luck of seeing myself and Evan. Uh, and the 100 are, the, uh, as you know, the, the leadership of advisors in Australia. Just to create this, start this conversation, can you create the context of who is IFS and what's been your journey that has you be on this podium today? Sure thing. Thank, thanks for that. Um, well, uh, I, IFS, uh, we're a, uh, I think, you know, probably the simplest way we'd describe ourselves as, as a dealer group or advice licensee. We, we license uh, just a little bit over 100 planners that work in the sort of most well-known super funds. Uh, the journey has uh, been that, uh, well, for IFS as a business, there's a few things that the business offers, but pretty much before funds reach scale, they've tended to use IFS as a a vehicle to solve a bunch of things. But licensing is the, the sort of the uh, dominant uh, offering in our uh, stable today. And, uh, initially, it started with uh, IFS employing the financial planners and members being referred by the respective funds to us. And then over the years, it's evolved to where today uh, the predominant model is one where the funds employ the planners themselves. And we, we provide all the advice technology, the CPD, the licensing, um, although licensing is not um, uh, a necessary component, uh, some of the self-licensed funds use us for um, sort of unbundled services as well. Okay, so I guess, I guess uh, as you know, Evan, we've just been talking with Dr. Don Russell, Chair of Australian Super. Uh, I'm keen to understand, and I'm sure everyone in the audience is keen to understand how this is uh, funded in a non-conflicted manner, given that this uh, retail part of the industry has clearly been under a lot of criticism for many years for exactly that. The four banks having now left, I know all eyes by government and regulators will be on AMP, IWF and industry funds going forward that they aren't vertically integrated product flogging organisations. So how can you explain that please? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, look, I think the first thing is to recognise that uh, the planners are clearly held to the same standards regardless of who they're licensed by or, or employed by. Uh, so if uh, you know, it ultimately comes down to the member that meets with them and to determine best fit from a strategy and a product perspective, uh, so you would expect to see, depending on the relative strength of the product which they're working for, whether, whether you would see monies being recommended to roll into that product or not. And there is enough of a variance between the advisors we license, between the 13 to 15 funds we work with, in, in terms of you know, how that you know, um, 
potential for home bias actually plays out. So the, the fact that you're meeting with a member, already a member holding an interest in the product is, is I think a bit of a distinction uh, in that there is no real product to be sold. It's more a matter of then whether they've got funds elsewhere and consolidating superannuation. And absolutely, we expect uh, and our, our business rules and licensee standards and the like uh, require that planner to find best fit based on what's important to that client. And you know that, that's sort of evidenced with the members that are rolled out of funds that aren't performing as, as well as their peers. All right, Evan, hello. Thanks for being here from Brisbane. More than welcome. And uh, how the world has become one big co-opetition, hasn't it? We've got Scott Hartley in the room, who's the uh, CEO of AMP. As you know, he was previously CEO of your place, Sun Super, and previous to that, he was at NAB. Uh, tell us about Sun Super. A uh, couple of first up questions. One is, how does advice fit into your member services solution? And I guess the other is, uh, we're seeing this mega merger, the first in Australia that will create uh, Sun Super, Q Super. The deal completes in a couple of months. It's been ticked off, so it's going to happen. It will end up being a $350 billion organisation in September. Tell us what that might look like from a service and advice perspective. Yeah, I guess I'm here with two hats on today. The first is as a, as a licensee. You know, we have advice at SunSuper. We, we provide general and intra-fund advice to our members. Um, and we do see um, a, a great reason for us to be doing that. We need to be able to explain to our members what it is they've got in our fund. Um, but I also join you as a, as a, um, uh, as a fund as well. We, we, we provide advisor services to advisors that might want to use SunSuper as one of their products. And so uh, we uh, have uh, registered advisors, around 4,000 of, of your advisors are registered uh, with SunSuper to provide advice to our members. Um, uh, they get access to a, uh, advisor portals and are able to deduct fees if they want and, and we just try to really support them as well as we possibly can. Um, so that's been a big evolution for us. You know, we, we started, um, I don't know, um, back in uh, uh, the early uh, 2000s in advice, providing comprehensive advice. But we realised in about 2015 that uh, the future was actually not just looking inwards and providing advice ourselves, but instead to trust the intent of advisors out there in the marketplace and, um, uh, and have them provide advice to our members rather than us doing it ourselves. Uh, you're talking about Q Super, absolutely. It's, it's a it's a really big opportunity for us, and I don't I don't so much think about the fund, but I think about the members. Sure. And uh, and for us, uh, the challenge that we face is how do we get? Uh, currently, we're trying to get advice um, to one point something million members, and it becomes a bigger challenge for us when we're now two million members. Um, uh, we're talking. I was talking to some some uh, licensees before around, um, you know, how do that, how do you engage, and what sort of clients do you have? Well, our, our clients probably look a bit different to many of your clients. You know, our clients have an average balance of $35,000. That's at SunSuper. It'll go up a bit from there for, for QSuper. But it's a real challenge to try and find an advice solution that, that they can get, which we know is going to mean they have a better outcome in retirement, um, whilst also still um, having advisors being able to, uh, to run, um, run businesses that, uh, that run a profit and, and uh, keep bread and food on your tables as well. So we want to talk in a minute about advice as opposed to guidance. And again, uh, we heard a lot this morning around the law uh, and the current frameworks. Yep. Uh, before we do, though, to uh, help navigate further where we're going with this conversation, an audience poll question. Do you currently have a referral relationship <coughs> with an industry super fund? So if all of you can take out your devices again, please. Keen to know whether you have a relationship, a referral relationship with an industry super fund. A, yes, it works well. 
B, yes, there's room for improvement. C, no, but considering. And D, no, not interested. So starting with you, Evan, while that poll results getting finalised, how do you deal with the conflicts that we're you heard in the earlier commentary and question uh, that you are both a product provider uh, and you also have holistic advice. You provide guidance but are a product provider and then you have a payment methodology that gets aggregated across all members. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess for me, we, um, we're not, we don't provide holistic advice. Uh, we provide intrafund advice about our, about our product and we think it's... We think it's right that we should be able to talk to our members about what it is that that fund does. So you refer, sorry, just to interrupt, but you, you refer 100% of holistic advice externally? So when, we, when we find something that exceeds, someone's needs exceed that which we can provide with um, comprehensive, uh, with uh, intrafund advice, we'll refer that out to a, uh, a panel of uh, clients, a panel of advisors rather, uh, or indeed if, if um, a member just has their own advisor, we just want to make it easy for them to actually get, um, get the help and, and uh, advice they might need. I'm interested by this poll, Colin, uh, saying yes, there's, uh, there's room for improvement, and I, and I guess that's some of our experience as well. You know, we've we've been doing the uh, our advice panel um, uh, for over five years now, and we've seen many different um, we've tried many different things across that time because we've got to make sure that uh, there's something in it for the advisor, there's something in it for the member. Everyone gets a, a good, happy outcome. And if we're the trustee and we're providing that referral, we want to make sure that the service is like the one that we would want to provide. And so we've, we've, um, we handpick out the advisors that are on that panel. We, we know and understand who they are. We know and understand their licensees. Um, and we track the, the outcomes from those referrals as well. But we want to make sure that we're also very good at when we give those referrals. And we know that we're not going to... Um, uh, we need to work really hard in our triage process to make sure that we're not giving a referral that you know, it's just wasting an advisor's time. You know, something that we should be doing instead, we want to make sure we do that, vet that well before we, we, uh, we send it out to someone's business. I'd really like to invite the audience to get involved here and uh, ask questions for either of our speakers. Uh, if you'd like to just grab the microphone and, and uh, press the right-hand side, which will turn a light on, which means I know you want to ask a question and I'll call on you, like right up the end there. Go Thank you it. very much. Uh, just a question in... Is your name and organisation first, oh, please? Sure. Peter Foley from Third View Financial Planning. And the question I have is, how do you reconcile intrafund advice with the FASIA code um, and how you're managing that at the moment? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, we're not immune um, from the FASIA code, but we also think that uh, the advice that we provide to our members uh, meets, meets the FASIA code. Um, and we need to, we, we, there needs to be that service to enable people to actually understand um, what, the, what, the, uh, what their fund is. Um, uh, we heard Don Russell before talking about 10% of Australian Super's members uh, are right to get comprehensive advice. If that number's right, that's, that's a whole heap of our members that otherwise wouldn't be getting anything. Um, and so there has to be a way and it has to be a solution. And so we've worked really hard to... Um, to look at that and understand what the FASIA code is and make sure that our advisors are, are working in, in, uh, um, in keeping with that. And so is the model that where they need the comprehensive advice, you won't seek to provide that yourselves? Yep, we absolutely will not. Um, right. So that's, that's, 
And when we see that there, there's an additional need, that's something that we would refer straight out. And so having that referral panel for us is vital because we realise what we're good at and we realise also what we, what we, we can't do and we refer that out to, uh, to one of the comprehensive planners. Adrian, can I ask you to answer that same question, please, in regards to the services you provide to multiple industry funds? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think from, from our perspective, the issue comes where you unnaturally try and contain a member service to fit in a, in a regulatory bucket. Uh, so I think, you know, as part of our ASIC submission, and there's a separate sort of piece, uh, paper that we, we shared, anyone who's care to read it, on, on some of the challenges that funds face with providing advice. But one of them is... Um, I think the strength in, in, in Sun's position on advice is it's very clear uh, and it's clear to them internally as much as it is to the broader market. I think where there can be challenges is where um, you, you don't have that clarity and then for the advisor, they're, they're trying to scope the needs and while still only having a, a, a limited service to offer. And if you don't have that clarity on to, where do I pass this member on to, um, you know, I, I personally worry that, you know, how well is that member really being served? So I, I think absolutely the code of ethics allows for <clears throat> needs, needs and advice to be scoped, but it needs to be appropriate scoping. It can't be something artificially constructed. Um, and, and so therefore, you know, you know, a good example would be retirement planning. You know, it's very difficult to uh, undertake retirement planning um, looking at a single member of a couple, for example, recognising the implications on Centrelink um, and the like. Um, so, I mean, that would be an, an example where we're saying it's not, it's not impossible to provide retirement advice under intra-fund charging rules, but um, it, it's got to be in the detail as, in terms of, you know, is it just a, uh, a single member of a household um, and, and a few other things that need to be considered before you provide that advice? It's not up to a member to really understand the nuances of what's general versus personal advice and then within personal, what's intra-fund versus... I mean, that, we're asking way too much of a consumer if that's how they're deciding the help that's going to be available to them. And that's, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what they asked for, though, Adrian. They just asked for help. And so yeah. then, it's in, um, then it's for us to work out how the best way to help that is, help them is. Uh, is it through us? Is it through a referral? Is it through their own advisor? Adrian, um, why wouldn't you just outsource all of your advice in this new world order? And if the answer's... Uh, and, and I guess I, my question too is, do you see that the, the room we're talking to today as not really interested in, in, uh, in your members because there might, many of them are low balance? No, I, I think... Um, I mean, most of our clients are looking at the external market and uh, looking for a solution that's going to work for them and, you know, have charged us along with others to come up with just a better way of solving for it. I think there was a fairly big overreaction to the joint APRASIC letter, which was what, probably a little bit um, less than two years ago now. And there was definitely an added sense of anxiety around, you know, um, well, how much vetting do you need to do of the advice that was provided and the like. And that all of that comes at a considerable cost, obviously. And, um, and I'm sure not welcomed by the advisor at the other end of all of that as well. So that's something that we're, you know, just doing some early investigations. Is there a, a better industry solution that solves for some of the pain points like the third party authority requests, like the fee deduction requests, um, where, you know, ideally we wouldn't have each fund have their own form, digital or otherwise, and different ways of looking at the sole purpose test. That if we could come up with a, 
And I know there are some other groups thinking about this already, the FPA and the um, AIST. Uh, but that, 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 I think, is being able to take friction out of the process would, would solve for some part of it. And then it's probably there being some advice tools and, and a different service model for these advice practices to be able to provide the help to these members. Um, I don't think every fund needs to have its own in-house advice offering. You should do so because you believe it's going to be a point of differentiation um, or there's something unique about your membership that you're trying to solve for. Uh, but you shouldn't be doing it begrudgingly because there's clearly a broader community of advisors that have the skill and the appetite to provide the advice. Um, that's, again, you know, uh, from a business perspective, something we're looking at in terms of is there an offer of tools and training and otherwise, not so much a licensing offer for these external advice businesses that would help these members get access to advice. Okay, uh, just name an organisation, far table, please. Uh, Glenda um, from Mind Super. Um, general question, actually, it's probably more directed at the audience. Um, I was looking at the poll, finishing off. 25% said that the third-party relationship with an industry fund is workable. The balance, 75% of the audience said it either needs improvement, no, I'm not interested, no, I wouldn't go there. Um, purely selfish, I am an industry fund and uh, we have members all across Australia and it is very difficult to get scale and help people who want to have advice. So my question is, and it may not be answered in this forum and it might be over the uh, chat tonight, but what is it that is preventing you, one, from engaging with us? And the second part was, um, if you are, why is it difficult? Yeah, great question. Anyone from the floor able to engage? Yep, sure. I could give you a couple of very brief examples. Um, the third party authority process is fairly painful. Um, it's difficult to, to sort of get that authority lodged and accepted. Um, uh, DocuSign, uh, uh, digital signatures, uh, it's not uniform whether they're accepted or not. Um, so those are some of the sort of very brief examples. Okay, thanks, Peter. And look, that's been our experience as well. Is is as we've as we've done more, we get better, um, and we see where the pain points are for advisors, uh, and we and we go through the process of trying to fix those. You know, one of the big issues we had is that as as nice as our people in our contact cent contact centre are, you don't really want to talk to them. You want to have uh, information at your fingertips. And, uh, and so advisor online portals are really important and making it easy for you to process is really important. And so over time you get better at that stuff. Uh, Jamie Johns from Madison Financial Group. So just <coughs> similar to that point, which is an administration burden, there's also the administration burden when it comes time for review. So you, there's no data feeds. So we're all looking for operational efficiency, knowing our client, where's the money invested. <coughs> So the time it takes for those advisors and their support staff to have to ring up and if there isn't a current statement to get that visibility and transparency. And also again at the front end where you're trying to understand and assess what is the insurance that sits within that. It's very hard to get clarity of definitions and will they be covered, especially if they're going to be under an exclusion on a different policy. So I think transparency around the insurance cover and also uh, transparency around the investment portfolio holdings. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Very practical considerations. Any others you'd like to add? I mean, it seems to, uh, it seems to me that one of the reasons we've scheduled this session in the previous is that uh, it's the largest chunk of change in the sector and the fastest growing. It's 1.3 trillion, I think, in, in industry super. 
Uh, retail has fallen by a couple hundred billion in the last year and a half. Uh, and the four banks have left. So I would have thought it's a very big opportunity for everyone in this room to harness industry funds. And that, that should be, I don't know, it seems to me also that, you know, like, uh, like uh, America made, uh, made face masking uh, such a, um, an ideological issue. In Australia, we stupidly made super ideological. And hopefully that's now about to end. Uh, that we now have no retail banks currently operating in advice or in superannuation. And there's an opportunity to stop the turf wars and for the advice sector and all of those playing in this room and all of the industry fronts, all of superannuation, 3.3 trillion thereabouts, to act and operate as one profession and one industry. That's certainly what was uh, I, during the session I, I in the workshop earlier. That's exactly what uh, Nathan Rees uh, heard in that session, right, was, uh, was everyone operating together and, uh, and one voice in Canberra. That would continue in this conversation, I would think. Go ahead, Adrian. Yeah, so I was just going to make a point. I mean, there's so many <laughs> things uh, that are common uh, or challenges we all share across the industry. I mean, one of them is this lack of new talent entering, which, uh, I mean, funnily enough, you talked about the you know, historical divide between industry funds and the retail sector. But, you know, at the same time, many of the advisors working in the superannuation space uh, have come out of the AMP training program or once worked in banks and uh, and they were wonderful training grounds for advisors historically and, and we, we don't really have that um, anymore and, and that's something that we need to be better at solving for. I mean for a fund um, the, the issue is that it's costing a lot more to, to employ an advisor which is great for the advisor but it doesn't make the advice um, any any less uh, costly to provide uh, and, and look and the other thing is that historically the, the banks have done the heavy lifting when it comes to technology investment and you know the offerings of um, X-Plan and, and Midwinter are examples of uh, where the retail sector has spent the money and the rest of the industry gets the benefit of solutions that they can then subscribe to. So I think there's, there's those things there where you know may, maybe it's through the industry associations and, and, and forums such as these where we, we can share the heavy lifting because no one super fund is going to differentiate and, and, uh, and, and win on the basis of advice technology and these things that sit behind the scenes. Uh, but uh, none of us are obviously are in, a, in a great position if the advice community is, is you know, sort of at this, in this uh, heading in the wrong direction in terms of numbers of advisors entering and, and leaving the industry. We're almost at, we're almost at a, <clears throat> pardon me, almost out of time, Adrian. Another couple of quick questions, however. One is you worked at Aware Super before IFS, so you're very aware of the pain and suffering uh, of the state plus acquisition and the skeletons that were unwanted that got found in that organisation. Do you think that that has turned off uh, um, uh, some organisations wanting to buy advice businesses, uh, including an industry fund group? Look, no doubt that, um, you know, that, and, and, you know, most funds would, would probably struggle. I mean, the issue comes in where do you get the capital from? In that, in that setting, it was uh, an investment of the fund and uh, there's been enough written about it and I probably don't need to, um, to, to go over it. But, I mean, what's probably disappointing is that before the State Plus acquisition, uh, what was first State Super then, uh, and even before that, it shows how long ago I, I joined, it was Health Super. Um, it, it built its own advice capability, a little bit like the Q Invest model at Q Super, uh, where uh, it was sort of organically grown. When I joined, there were six people working in that advice team. It grew to about 120. Uh, and sure, there was lots of, of things that uh, we still would have loved to have uh, been better at in terms of reducing the cost of advice and, that, and the like. But um, that was a, a great model in that it was purpose-built 
And uh, I think that's the sort of distinction between advice in super and, and beyond is in super, the challenge is how, how to best use the scarce resources you have. So it ends up being much more of a transactional based thing, helping people enter retirement rather than building a book of ongoing clients as such. But um, as I said, there was, there was plenty that was right in that model. Unfortunately, you know, sort of we'll remember, um, we're remembering uh, how hard it is now post estate plus integration. But yeah, I, think, I think funds have looked at that to say, well, maybe that's not a, a way of going about things that will follow. Um, but um, look, I mean, obviously there's, there's plenty of colleagues I, I, I leave behind there and I wish them all the best. All right, thank you. And Evan, last question, uh, we're over time as you can see. Uh, as you know, we have Treasury in the room, we have ASIC, we have APRA, no pressure. Uh, what do you think, uh, what would you, what's your wish list of change in regulatory or law reform that would allow you to serve uh, your member better and what they really want? Look, I don't know. A very, a very short, a short-term piece, I think, is just clarity around sole purpose test. If I'm thinking, rather than about the members, but about how we actually, how we deal with licensees and advisors, and the biggest pain point right now is clarity around sole purpose test. Uh, what does meet the definition of sole purpose test for release of funds, uh, and what um, extent do we need to go to as a trustee group to be able to? Um, uh, understand that the advice that's provided actually sits within that sole purpose test. Um, the, the, uh, the, the latest um, information about the sole purpose test is, is decades old, uh, written in a very different language. Um, and clarifi a clarification about that is, um, is overdue. And the ASIC APRA letter uh, of two years ago actually made that harder for trustees. So um, that piece, and, and put a wedge between us and, uh, and licensees. And so if we solve that piece, I think the process of providing advice to our members by uh, retail advisors is actually so much easier. Okay, well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I hope that was useful to our audience. Please put your hands together for Adrian and Evan. Thank you. Thank you.